Amen. Well, good to see you in the house of the Lord this evening. Good to be back. Let's take your Bible and turn to Psalm chapter 19. Psalm chapter 19. Very familiar psalm. <clears throat> psalm chapter 19. I see Brother Hurl's turn the heat down. <laughs> Uh, Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he hath set a tabernacle for the sun which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven and his circuit unto the ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever the judgments of the lord are true and righteous altogether more to be desired are they than gold yea than much fine gold sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb moreover by them as thy servant warned and in keeping of them there is great reward who can understand his heiress cleanse thou me from secret faults keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins let them not have dominion over me Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. The title of the message tonight, simply the declaration of our great God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to be assembled together tonight. Thank you for your word, and thank you, Father, for... Uh, the way that you've revealed yourself to us. And Father, I pray as we look in the word of God tonight, we'd be encouraged and challenged and strengthened in our walk with you. And may you be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, in this modern era of technology and big cities, we have made ourselves, of course, very busy. We don't, have, don't take time to consider and ponder the heavens which many times are somewhat hidden with all the manufactured lighting in the world. You know, if, I, if I go into the city, I can't, hardly, I can't hardly see the stars. Or even where I live, you know, it's not, uh, you know, we have pole lights and things like that. So the manufactured lighting certainly hinders that. So we don't often sit out under the stars and dwell on the power and greatness of God revealed by the starry host. You know, the heaven, though the heavens reveal God, it is the word of God that reveals the person of God. So tonight, as we consider, this, this psalm gives us both. It talks about the creation and the glory that it manifests of our God, but it also talks about the word of God, which reveals to us uh, the person of God. So... Uh, I have three points. First of all, the message of creation. And the message of creation, of course, is in verses 1 through 6. And it simply declares God. 
it declares God. Uh, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth his handiworks. The heavens give a declarative message. They declare. And that word declare means to tell with praise or celebrate. The idea of celebrate. Uh, and again, the word showeth in verse 1 means to proclaim emphatically. So, you know, think about it. The heavens declare the glory. That word glory means the honor, the majesty, the splendor. Emphatically declare the glory and the power of God. Somebody has said, quote, The day sky and the night sky speak to us and reveal knowledge about the glory, wisdom, and creative greatness of God. Unquote. Aristotle Aristotle is, is uh, credited with, with this statement, quote, Should a man live underground and there converse with the works of art and mechanism and should afterwards be brought up into the open day and see the several glories of the heaven and earth, he would immediately pronounce them the works of such a being as we define to be God, unquote. So the heavens, they declare emphatically, God, the glory and majesty and the splendor of God. And so they give this declarative message, and it's a continual message. Notice verse 2, day unto day utter speech, night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language with no heart. You know, it's a continual speech, a continual message. It's, it's, being, it's being spoken over and over. And you notice he uses the word uttereth here utter speech, it's being spoken over and over and over again, constantly. Spurgeon said this, quote, Though all preachers on earth should grow silent, and every human mouth cease from publishing the glory of God, the heavens above will never cease to declare and proclaim His majesty and glory. They are forever preaching. For like an unbroken chain, their message is delivered from day to day and from night to night. Unquote. You know, they can... They can they can shut us up if they will or try to. But they can't shut up God. They can't do it. Because the heavens declare day unto day, night unto night, 24-7 as we would say. The heavens declare God. God. You can't get away from it. You can run, but you can't hide. Yeah, that's what I'll say. So it's a continual message. It's comprehensive in its scope. Again, verse 3, there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Romans, and then again, verse 6, his going forth is from the end of the heaven, his circus under the ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat. Of course, speaking about the sun there, uh, nothing heat from the heat thereof. So, it's comprehensive. It's, it's the world over. There's no place you can go to get away from it. Romans 10.18, Paul, writing to the churches at Rome, said this, But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, their sound went into all the earth, and their words unto the ends of the world. And it's even making reference to this passage. See, it's comprehensive. No one escapes the, the, the declaration of creation, God. No one. 
And it's a conciliatory message. That means it, makes, it, it, it compels to make compatible or reconcile. Now notice verse 4. I thought this was interesting. Their line is going out through all the earth. Their words to the end of the world, in them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun. Now that word line is an interesting word. It means a measuring cord, like the string of a harp. So the idea of there, you're talking about like on a, a playing a string on a on an instrument, musical instrument, and and trying to line, measure everything by that string, the sound of that string. So the idea here is that the creation is is measuring us, showing us. You know, we, we see this from the Word of God that the Word of God is like a measuring line and shows us that we fall short. But so does creation. It's showing us that we are so inferior to God. We so we fall so short of God, the glory of God. Verse two says it showeth knowledge. It makes you know the 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 uh, the, the creation here is to to make know the intelligence uh, that God made all the star, starry hosts of heaven to make Himself known. You know, you go into a planetarium, and they, as it will, take you through space. You know, up through the stars, and and you know, you think after a while it's going to end somewhere. But just goes and goes, and there's just more stars and more stars and more stars and more stars. There's billions of them. When we were at the Creation Museum, we went into the planetarium, you know, and and and, and they, they just as they start displaying that thing, and it's like, you know, it, it's more than you can fathom. We can't fathom it. The immenseness of it, the vastness of of the starry hosts, and and, you know, we, we, we talk about the millions of stars in our galaxies, but then there's millions of galaxies with millions of stars in them. This is just his handiwork. It's just his handiwork. It showeth his handiwork, verse 1 tells us. It's, it's, so it's hard to, to, to fathom the expanse and splendor of our God. And the heavens declare emphatically that he is. That he is. That is the message of creation. The greatness and the power of our God. Then I want you to notice, secondly, the message of the word. Of course, the, me- the word reveals his person. Not just that he is, but it reveals his person. And of course, Jesus... The Lord Jesus revealed, came to reveal the person of God. He's the revelation of God. He is the Word of God. And that, when we talk about the Word of God, I was talking to the, in the Bible Institute the other night that John uses that word, Word. He's, re, he's talking about the revelation of a person. The Word was made flesh and blood among us. He was revealing God to us. John 1.18 says, No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath uh, declared Him, or He hath made Him known, or revealed Him to us. You remember John 14, Philip asked, 
Show us the Father and it suffice to us. Jesus said, have I been so long with you, Philip, and thou knowest not the Father? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So the message of the Word of God it reveals the person of God. And, and, and he gives several things here about the Word of God, revealing God to us, what God is like, and his person. First of all, he says, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. So again, we have a measuring line, an exact standard. By the way, it's an equal standard for everyone, too. Think about it. It's an equal standard for everyone. You know, in, in our world, our standards are not always equal. In fact, most times they're not equal. But God's standard is always the same. It's an exact standard. And again, this standard, it says converting the soul, it brings us to, into unto reconciliation, again, into compatibility or reconciliation with God. That's the purpose of this measuring line, you might say. And it, and it gives us life. Uh, so so it is, it, the word of God is a measuring line. The testimonies of the Lord, in verse 7 again, the testimonies of the Lord are is sure, making wise the simple. The word testimony has the idea of witness. Four times it's translated witness. And, of course, this witness is sure, it's certain, it is true. What God declares is true. It is true. Psalm 119, verse 99 says, I have, I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. Thy testimonies. Your witness, what you bear witness to in your word is my meditation. Therefore, I have more understanding than all my teachers. Verse 144 says, The righteousness of thy testimonies is everlasting. Give me understanding. In other words, they won't change. God's testimonies, what he witnesses to or testifies to, will never change. You know, we have documents which we say uh, are, are uh, I'm trying to think of the word, to the Constitution. There's, there's no, no, there, what, how some people view the Constitution as a moving document. In other words, a changing document, changing with times. Others view it as unchanging. That's, what, that's how it was intended to be written. That's how it was, that was the intent of it. Uh, but but the, this, of course, the word of God is unchanging. It's everlasting. It gives wisdom. It is sure. Uh, making wise and simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, verse 8, rejoicing the heart. Uh, Psalm or Proverbs thirteen nine says, "The light of the righteous rejoiceth, but the lamp of the wicked shall be put out." There's a there's a there's a connection between being right and having joy. Proverbs fifteen thirty says, "The light of the light of the eyes rejoiceth the heart, and a good report maketh fat the bones." Proverbs twenty nine two says, "When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice." When the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. There were some people mourning Wednesday morning. Uh, I was disappointed, but I wasn't too upset. But next two years will be wasted time. We'll see. Most part, with uh, at least with those. But anyway, but, but, but 
think about it this way. There is a peace that is present when you know in your heart you're right. There's a joy there. And no matter what anyone else does, there is a peace and a joy there. See, the statutes of the Lord are right. They bring rejoicing to the heart. Rejoicing. The wicked flee when no man pursueth. The righteous are as bold as lion. They know they're right. They're rejoicing in that. The commandment, verse 8, of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Uh, the word pure here means clear or sincere. The idea is empty, empty. In other words, no baggage of sin to drag around through life. Yeah, most of us have some baggage, some scars because of sin in our life. You know, and many times those things affect us and work to hinder us. They have to be overcome. They have to be forsaken. You know, some of some of you have grown up in independent Baptist churches and have heard stuff like you hear or similar all your life. Some of us have grown up in other kinds of churches or religions and have to undo undo what we've heard, overcome that. It's baggage. But, of course, we can, by the grace of God, overcome them, but it's difficult. You know, it's much easier if we are simple concerning that which is evil. Now, when we say simple, it means not knowing, not experiencing, not experiencing. I've heard a, 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 a preacher, he was actually... He was kind of an odd guy. He was a combination of a Mennonite and a Baptist. Baptist Mennonite. I don't know what you'd call him. Anyway, they started a church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. He was a hippie. He, got, he was a hippie when he got saved. And he said, I got a lot of baggage that I carry around from my past life that works to hinder me. He was encouraging young people not to ever experience with sin and you won't have any baggage to carry around and, and it affects your conscience. Again, we can overcome that. By the grace of God, we can overcome any, kind, any, any sin or anything of the past, but it is difficult. That's life. And it works to hinder us. So it's much easier. Uh, Romans 16, 19 says this, For your obedience has come brought unto all men. I am glad, therefore, in your behalf. But I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple, and that word simple means ignorant concerning evil. Now, some people say, well, they need to experience it to know. I don't have to experience drinking to know that it's not good. All I have to do is look around. Take a good look around. You know, that's why the Proverbs over and over says, like Proverbs 3, verse 1, My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. Young people, keep the commandments of God. It will help you. 
throughout life. You won't have baggage to carry around later in life that you regret. Proverbs 4.4, 4, he taught me also and said unto me, let thine heart retain my words, keep my commandments and live. Proverbs 6.20, my son, keep thy father's commandment, forsake not the law of thy mother. Verse 23, for the commandment is a lamp and the law is light and reproofs of instruction are the ways of life. So the commandment of the Lord is pure, clear, sincere. Then the fear of the Lord is clean. It's a similar word. Fear, of course, means to be afraid of, have reverential fear or trust. Uh, but the fear of the Lord is clean, verse 9, enduring forever. The, the, the word clean here means unpolluted or morally, ethically fair. You know, one who is clean is not afraid to stand. Persevere. You know, Joseph feared God. And Joseph was not afraid to stand when tempted or when tried, even if it was Potiphar's wife. You know, I'm sure Joseph understood there could be consequences to me refusing her. There would have been consequences to him accepting the invitation, too. But I'm sure he probably understood there may be consequences to me refusing her. But he feared God. He feared God above her and above Potiphar. And because his life was clean, he had no guilt of any past things to hinder him in, in this. And so he wasn't afraid to stand. He stood. He endured. It says, you know, it says here, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. You know, like what Pastor Mitchell said, if, if, if uh, Kavanaugh would have never drank, you know, what would that have done to her testimony? That bored lady. Kind of blew it out of the water right to start with. Um, but, you know, that's, the only, that's the only muddy thing they could really get on him anyway. But anyway, uh, you know, but if he'd have been completely clean, it's clean. These are things the word of God does for us. The judgments of the Lord, verse 9, are true and righteous altogether. The word judgment here has the idea of the sentence of a judge. Uh, in chapter 17 and verse 2, let my sentence come forth. In other words, my, my sentence from God, let it come forth from thy presence, he said. So, so God's judgments are always right. They're all right. In Psalm 51, David testified to this, even against himself. In Psalm 51, when he said in verse 4, Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. You know, there was a, a severe sentence pronounced upon David's house because of his sin with Bathsheba. Now, guys, you know, the Lord said, you know, I put away thy sin. But because of this sin, and it was a public one, there's going to be some public consequences. The child's going to die. That's the first thing. The sword shall never depart from thy house. We know there was, there was, there was an unrest amongst his children. And Absalom killed Amnon. Uh, Amnon raped Tamar, you know, before Absalom killed him. 
So, th- so there was this, these, these were things that happened because of David's sin. And, of course, David had tried to cover up his sin for some period of time. And, and, and he accepted and said, God, you are just. I did it. I deserve it. And his, notice it says his judgments are true and righteous altogether. And that phrase there, altogether, has the idea of, of unity or like. You know, when God passes sentences or judgments, they're always the same. He doesn't look at Brother Smith and say, well, you know, he's, he's, he's been a good guy, so I'll lighten it. Now, Brother Hoyle, I'm going to give him the, you know, the whole. No, see, God doesn't do things like that. He is no respecter of persons. No respecter of persons. There's always harmony and unity with his judgments. They are all alike. They don't change for the prophet or the priest or the preacher. You know, we hear a lot about the scandals in the Catholic Church, and the Catholics think because they're priests... But they're above the law. No, they're not above the law. Crime's crime. Crime's crime. God's no respect of persons. See, it creates an equality of life. God's judgments. You know, God did not say to David, well, since you are the king, and you've been faithful until now, you know, there won't be any consequences to your sin. No, he didn't say that. God's judgments are true and righteous altogether. The same for everyone. So we see the message. And I want to notice the measure, the word measure, the measure of God's word, verses 10 through 14. First of all, It's precious. Notice verse 10. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. Two things here. As we think, consider the measure or the value of God's word, it is priceless. God's word is priceless. You cannot put a value on it. It is more to be desired than they, than gold. Yea, then much fine gold. Proverbs 20, 20, 23 says, Buy the truth and sell it not. It says wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom and follow by getting get understanding. And of course that comes through the word of God. So it's the most important thing is the word of God. There's nothing of more value than that. That's what he's saying. It's priceless. But it's also pleasant. It's sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. Sweeter than honey. Honey is, of course, a sweetener, considered a sweetener in the Bible. I remember when up in Mar- we were up in Maryland, there was a, um, yeah, I'm trying to remember the name they called, Averett? What's the name they called? Bee- beekeeper. I'll just say beekeeper. Anyway, instead of the technical term. He was a beekeeper in the church, and he said, when Jesus, after he ate fish, his dessert was honey. I'm not sure what chapter and verse he got that out of. But uh, 
I didn't question him on it. He was pretty emphatic about it. But anyway, but the Bible says here it is sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. It's pleasant. When you're having, when you're down in the dumps, what brings you comfort? Psalm 119 verse 50 says, This is my comfort and my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me. It's revived me. It's given me life. It's given me hope. Look at Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22 and verses 17 through 19. Proverbs 22 verse 17 says, Bow down thine ear and hear the words of the wise and ply thine heart unto knowledge, for it is a Pleasant thing, if thou keep them within thee, they shall be fit well, or withal be fitted in thy lips, that thy trust may be in the Lord. I have made known to thee this day, even to thee. See, it'll be a pleasant thing if you bow down your ear to the word of the Lord. Bow, you know, the idea is bend your ear. Do you ever, you ever try to overhear somebody else's conversation? Or put your ear up against the door trying to hear what they're saying inside? Do you kids ever do that to your parents when you're back in the bedroom talking? No, I shouldn't give you any ideas. But, you know, you're bend, that's the idea. You're bending your ear to hear. You just can't quite hear, but you're really pushing, you know. Bow down on ear to hear. Because it's pleasant. Jeremiah 15, 16. Jeremiah said, Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart, for I am called by thy name, O Lord, God of hosts. So the word of God is precious. Not only is it precious, but it protects us. Notice verse 11. Moreover by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Again, two things here. First, it prevents us from destruction. By them is thy servant warned. Now, the word of God is sort of like a red light at a stoplight. What's the red light tell you? It's a warning. Stop! Or, of course, the yellow light tells you the red light is coming. Stop. And the Word of God tells us or warns us of the dangers and the destruction of sin. The wages of sin is death. It warns us. It gives us illustrations over and over again about the consequences of sin. Read the life of Samson. And you'll realize that, you know what, it's not a good idea to play with sin. Samson got his eyes put out. Was made to grind in the prison house. You know, that's what they used animals and oxen for. They'd hook them up to that grinder, and all you did was walk around in a circle all day long, turning that stone on that grain to grind it into flour. Just like an ox. Made to live like a beast. Why? Because he played with sin. You know, you can read about many others. See, the Bible warns us over and over again about the dangers and the consequences of sin. It also not only prevents us from destruction, but it prevents us from losing our reward. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them, so if we keep them, there is great reward. Second John 1 8 says, Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, 
but that we receive a full, full reward. And an example of this is in 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. Paul said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Therefore, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Because he had fought the fight, he had finished his course, and he had kept the faith. There was a crown of righteousness awaiting him, a reward. But you know, the Bible talks about it in Corinthians at the judgment seat of Christ, some will be saved, yet so as by fire. In other words, their works are going to go up in smoke, be of little value. Now, what's what John's saying here? Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought or worked for or put effort in for, but that we receive a full reward. See, in keeping of the word of God, there is great reward. The more of it we keep, the greater the reward. So it protects us. Thirdly, it purges us. Notice verse 12. Who can understand his errors? Think about that question. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. You know, the word of God gives understanding of the whys of sin. Why do I sin? Now, to, to, to many of you, that's a, kind of a dumb question. But to little children... They have no clue. Why do you know why you sin? Where'd you learn it? How'd you figure it out? You know, why do I want to sin? Why do I want to sin? You say, preacher, do you want to sin? Yeah, I do sometimes. Why do I want to sin? Again, the Word of God tells us that. It gives us understanding into who we really are. And, and so the psalmist says, who can understand his errors? The natural man can't understand his errors. I mean, you see these news reporters you know, being as rude as can be at a presidential press conference, and he can't seem to fathom that he's rude and arrogant. My mama would have washed his mouth out with soap and wore out his backside. And maybe he would understand. My dad would have wore out his backside, I'll tell you that. But anyway. Uh, <clears throat> no. You know, why do children want to rebel against parents? Why would one want to kill his girlfriend? The guy just read about it today. Killed his girlfriend. Stabbed her with a knife. Because he thought it would be better if he'd raise his son, then he wouldn't have her to corrupt. Uh, anyway, you know, why do people, and who can understand this? And, and God says, you know, God gives understanding to us through his word. And to understand here, or to know, means to be acquainted with. You see, if we can understand our errors, or why we sin, we are better equipped to fix the problem. You know, if I understand that a car needs lubrication and coolant, I can prevent a blown engine. 
if I understand human nature, I can, by the grace of God, cleanse myself of sin. The word, the, the word cleanse here is interesting. It means to be innocent or void of any fault. You know, we, when, we, when we see the word cleanse, we often think, well, something is dirty and we're going to wash it up. But that's not really the idea here. The idea is that we're keeping it clean. We're not ever getting it dirty. It's void of dirt. That's the idea here. Cleanse thou me from secret faults. It means to be innocent. So if we can understand by error why I sin, what it is about me, again, it, we understand that by the word of God. The world, the world still hasn't figured that out. That's why they think socialism works. That is the premise upon which socialism is built, that man is naturally good. We understand very clearly from the word of God and the evidence is manifold that man is a sinner and does that which is naturally evil. And of course, the word of God taught us that. Um, so if we understand that, you know, we can be kept, we can keep ourselves from error against God, even, and the idea here is sinning without knowledge. Now you might say, how do you sin without knowledge? Well, let's look at the next, next point, and I think you'll understand. Uh, look, at, look at verse 13. It says, keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Now, the word presumptuous means, actually, the word presumptuous is used 13 times in the Old Testament. Or this word, this Hebrew word, is used 13 times in the Old Testament. Twelve times it's translated proud. One time here it's translated presumptuous. So the idea is keep thy servant from proud or arrogant against thee sins. And he says this, look at the end of that verse. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Now, but the word here is, to think about this, this fourth point, the word propels us to victory. It's a driving force. It's propelling force, like the propeller on a, on a, on a, on a helicopter. You know, it propels that thing. It drives it. And the word of God is a driving force against pride. That's what he's saying here. Keep thy, back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. In other words, I know it's wrong, and I know God says it's wrong. I'm going to do it anyhow. I don't care. God's not telling me what to do. You know, David's sin with Bathsheba was a presumptuous sin. Moses striking the rock was a presumptuous sin. That's why it was so serious that God said, you're not going into the promised land. God had told him exactly what to do. And he just, he got angry and did what he wanted. I mean, I'd, I'd have wanted to do that too. In fact, I'd think I'd have wanted to hit people and not the rock. But see, that was a presumptuous sin. See, there are presumptuous sins, and there are sins that are not presumptuous. Sins that we commit, we don't think about it really 
at the time as being in God's face. And so, you know, verse 12 was talking about those sins of, we might call them sins of omission. And Leviticus talks about those. Where if he, if he, if he brings an offering for, and he, 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 he sinned and he didn't know it. But, but here in verse 14, we're talking about something that we know, and we know it's wrong, and we did it anyway. You see, but the, the Word of God is a propelling force that works against our pride, our desire to have our own way and do our own thing. Look at, look at chapter, Jeremiah chapter 20. Jeremiah chapter 20. You know, Jeremiah was given a, as far as I'm concerned, a very difficult task. He was told to preach to the children of Israel, and then he was told they won't listen to you. But he continued to preach, but he did get discouraged. And uh, in verse 7, Jeremiah 20, verse 7, he says, O Lord, thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. Thou art stronger than I, and hast prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocketh me. For since I spake, I cried out. I cried violence and spoil, because the word of the Lord was made a reproach unto me in a derision daily. In other words, because of what I preached, I'm daily being mocked and derided and persecuted. They want to get rid of me. They don't want to receive the message because I'm, he said, what's coming is judgment. It can't be denied. It's the word of the Lord. And he's telling them they need to get right with God, but they won't do it. But anyway, and so as a derision daily, then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. So I'm just going to quit. Why keep on doing this? I mean, I'll just go get a banker's job, you know, or something. Nobody wants to listen to it anyway. But his word was in mine heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. You see, the word of God was a driving force in his heart. that kept him from a presumptuous sin. Quitting. Turning away from what God had commanded him to do. See, the word of God is quick and powerful. It is a driving force. And we need to make it the meditation of our hearts. Notice verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. You know, if we will make the word of God the meditation of our heart, our innermost being, what we think about most often, it'll give us strength. It'll be a driving force in our life. Bob Jones Sr. said this, quote, Behind every sin 
there is a process of wicked thinking, unquote. You know, we need to flip that the other way. We need to be com- completely, you know, the processes of our thoughts need to be on the word of God. And instead of wicked thinking and sin, there be good thinking, spiritual thinking, and there will be righteousness. Proverbs 15.22 says, Without counsel, purposes are disappointed. But in the multitude of counselors, and again, the idea there is the, the, the multitude of counselors from the Word of God. We've got multitude of counselors that we need to think about and th- meditate on. They are established. Our purposes are established. Commit thy works on the Lord. Thy thoughts shall be established. Proverbs 16.3. The word commit means to roll over on. You know, commit, roll your works over on the Lord. Commit them to him. He'll establish them. Psalm 119, verse 133 says, Order my steps in thy word, and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. You know, it is healthy for one to look at the heavens and consider the power and greatness of our God and to meditate on the words of the living God that we might know him and understand the issues of life. Spurgeon said this, quote, He is wisest who reads both the world book and the word book. The world book and the word book. As two volumes of the same work and feels concerning them, my father wrote them both. See, the message of the heavens is God is the greatness and power of our God. The message of the word is he reveals the person and a personable God to us. And then as we consider the measure of his word, we can draw near to him and know his presence and his power in our life. that our meditations and then our actions might be acceptable in his sight. Let's consider the heavens, consider his word, consider the greatness of our God, and meditate on him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time of your word tonight. Thank you for the encouragement that we find in it. I pray it should help us, Father, as your people, not to get sidetracked by the busyness, the distractions that are so prevalent in our world today. Technology, but help us, Father, to use these things as tools to bring forth fruit for your honor and for your glory. Help us to meditate on these thoughts tonight our daily lives, that our lives might be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. We do pray in Jesus' name.